This podcast is presented to you by the Young Adults Ministry of Faith Chapel San Diego. To find out more, please visit faithchapelsd.com. I do want to encourage you <clears throat> tonight. Um, I, I'll say this because I think everybody needs to hear it. It's kind of a revelation for me. It really changed the way that I settled in um, uh, who I am in Jesus. And, and um, fought that for a long time. And, and then the Lord started to talk to me about the burning that I was created to do. And, and so I ask all my students, and um, I mentor quite a few um, young people, and one of the things I'll ask them all the time is, what do you burn with? What do you burn for? Like, what, what, is, what is that thing in the center of your being that, that is the fire in your, in your heart? And it is, and I'm not asking you, like, what your gifting is or what your talent is. Um, that would be easy for you to say, oh, I like to do this or I like to do that. What I'm asking for, what, what we burn with, it's really what leaves, what you leave hanging in the atmosphere when you walk out of a place. And that happens uh, um, only when you come into recognition with what it is you were created for. And it's not about, I was created to sing or, I mean, this right here has been great for me. I didn't um, go to school for it. I didn't have a desire to do it. Um, I was telling um, Brian and Stephanie today when they picked me up that I was born and raised in Southern California and um, I was going to go to Northridge, Cal State Northridge. I was going to be an actress. I was never going to be poor again, and I was going to be famous. And I was going to win Oscars, and I was going to do everything that was me-focused because I had lost myself to um, self-worth and self-esteem in high school, even though I was saved and loved God with all my heart. Um, but I was lost in that. And... Um, and so I had never done this except for when my um, 14-month older sister who looked a little like Marsha Brady from the Brady Bunch and was kind of perfect in that sense, like Marsha Brady, long blonde hair, uh, tall and thin and beautiful. Um, and she started to take piano lessons in the back of my head. This is the honest to God truth. I was like, uh-uh. Like, I know I can't be Marsha. Brady, but I will one-up that chick in piano any day of the week. So even, even my attachment to, to the piano was all self-motivated. And it's so beautiful that the Lord allowed that because he knew that there was an ultimate um, plan that he had in it. And so while I'm taking lessons and having to cut my fingernails till I bled, I found him on that instrument. I found him alone in the house one day running hand and exercises up and down. And I hit a chord, I can't tell you what I hit. And I just started weeping. Um, we had lost our father to cancer years prior to that. It was a very traumatic household. And all of a sudden I could feel the presence of God coming around me. And so I came back to that place to find that chord all the time because I wanted that feeling again. But it would take me years to understand that I was actually made to burn with something. And then I started having this, these conversations with the Lord. And let me just kind of wrap um, something around that. Because when I say that, I make it sound like it's super really easy to just talk to God all the time. It really is for me. But I started that very young. 
am in my inquisitive state, I wanted to hear the voice of God. I had a desire to hear the voice of God. And so I would test God all the time. If you're there, I want you to talk to me. I want you to talk to me. And really it wasn't until um, my, probably my, my early to, to maybe mid-20s that the Holy Spirit said to me one day, and I heard him very clearly, um, he was asking me about, I would always, you know, people would say, gosh, what are you going to do in music? And what are you going to do in this? And, and the Lord said to me, with, with, with whatever you do, you're going to minister to women. And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, I hate them. Why would I ever want to minister to them? <laughs> and the Lord said to me, the reason that you, you that, that is almost like an impossible thing for you to grab a hold of is because um, you don't love you. And you will not encourage in other people what you cannot love in yourself. And so I was like, okay, well, how do I get rid of that? And he said, ask me what I think about you. And that was my first real encounter of learning how to hear the voice of God. Because God began to say things I knew I would never say about myself. And I, I started to actually believe it. And it didn't mean that I got a big head and thought I was something special. It meant that I knew that when I walked into the room, God grabbed his chest every time. And it didn't matter what you thought about me when I walked in the room. Because I was burdened with that my whole young life. And in, in the, the music industry, you know, I, I always say, what I do here, what I've learned to do here, really is just an extension or an overflow of what's already going on on the inside of me all the time. I mean, that's really what it is. I just found a place in the Lord, and honestly, the most powerful times that I have in worship are when I'm home alone with the piano, and it's just me and the Lord. Nobody touches that. And the, some of the greatest songs that I've ever written, the Lord has said, never play that for anybody else but me. And so I've just, I've kind of lived in this place where I believe what Ephesians says, that the love of God is so, so high, so deep, so wide, so long. What that means is that if, if in five minutes you ask for more of it, there is more of it to be had. And when you, when you step into God's love, and this is the love conference, right? When you step into God's love, it cannot, it, it cannot live where hate is. And so it, his love will begin to erode your, your low self-esteem and your unworthiness and your, um, uh, you know, your, your disappointments and all those things. The more that you want to hear the voice of God, the less you want to hear the voice of hell speaking over you. And so tonight I just want to encourage you. It took me a while to find out what I burned with because I, I wasn't, I wasn't, asking God the proper questions until I realized that when I started to worship and I started to lead worship, never in a million years would I've ever told you, even in my 20s, that I would have been a worship leader. That was like low on the totem pole um, for, my, for my life. But it really has been a beautiful journey. Like I get to lead worship for a living. Like I get to be in the throne room all the time for a living. I get to sit in writing rooms and search um, for lyrics and ask God for um, songs that no one's ever um, sung before and, and the matching of lyrics and melody lines. It, and I have that privilege because it's my right as a child of God to ask the creator for anything I want. I mean, he, he really does give it to you. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a... 
um, you know, I, I teach creative conferences a lot, and um, and I run a creative art school. I've I've been doing it now for almost 12 years. It's called Dive. People think I run a, a scuba diving school, um, but it's an acronym for Deep Innovative Vertical Expression. I started coming alive in sound, and if you've ever done anything, um, any kind of research on um, in physics or in sound waves and frequencies, it's one of the most fascinating things I've ever delved into because it's all connected to scripture. And we have this really amazing God who didn't come in Genesis chapter one as a savior. He came as an artist. And he spent five days doing art. He spent one day making a guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that didn't take long. Picked up some dirt, spit into it, molded this guy, and then out of that, broke off a rib and fashioned a woman. That wasn't the spectacular part. Even though to the Lord, it was the goal. But five days before that, he spins the universe for you. He, he makes color and sight and sound and shape. And everything in those five days has never sinned, has never fallen short, and has never turned away and walked away from the Lord. And as you walk outside or as you down to the beach or as you just stand in the open air, those things in those first five days that the artist designed sing over you, believe, 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 believe. So that's why there is no excuse at the end of your life when you stand before the king and you say, I never knew you. All really he has to say is, how could you not go outside and see the pictures I've painted for you constantly? And he does it in a way that's really quite beautiful. And part of our burning is that coming in connection with the deity of God. I love that. Um, you know, there's this doctor in... Dallas, I lived in Dallas for seven years, just moved to Nashville and, and um, went on staff at a mega church out there in the worship department. And it was just a beautiful place to be. And um, one of the pastors there was like, Rita, you're so creative. There's this doctor in town um, that does trauma work. And I want you to go see him. And so she's like, you're just going to love what he does. And so I went to this African doctor and I walked into the doctor's office and I rang the little bell and he came out and he asked me what my name was and checked me off a list and handed me an eight and a half by 11 sheet of one piece of paper with a cartoon um, profile drawing of a child's face and all the compartments in the brain. And he handed me a box of 24 crayons and he said, color that and I'll be back in 15. And I said, well, how do you want me to color this? And he said, well, color it the way you want to color it. I don't care. And so I went in the back and I gave him my color-coded map, and he said, I'm colorblind, tell me what colors are on this. And so he made lines to the compartments of the brain that I had colored, and he wrote the colors there, and then he just looked at it for about 10 minutes. And then he looked up at me and he said, so what were you, nine when your father died? And I said, wait, what? Because he doesn't know me at all, doesn't know my history. And he said, well, you've colored it right here on your brain. All of your trauma is collected in the colors that you live in. And you can change the colors based on 
And, I, and, and he, he started to talk, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Who cares about? How do you do this? Like, how do you, how, how did you, how did you figure this out? It was really quite fascinating because he began to quote scripture, and he began to say, when we see the DNA of God first flashed upon the sky after he makes a massive promise and wipes out the universe, what does he do? He throws primary colors in the sky and he says, I promise I will never. And everything he does from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is all creative. And it's all based on the DNA of God. And so when John in Revelation is even trying to talk about what he's seeing around the throne, he's talking color and flashes of light, and he's talking glassy seas, and he's describing the DNA of God surrounding the throne. And so when we talk about God as an understanding God to who we are, it's because every fiber of our being he understands because he made every fiber of our being. It's interesting to me that I love scripture. I don't know if you are addicted to scripture, but scripture is really quite fascinating. And it's, you know, you go to the Old Testament and it's shadows and types all for the new. So it's like this, it's like this setup of a play for the, the final act, you know, in, in the New Testament. And it's just this, this crazy story of all these amazing things. But I find it interesting that God in Genesis reaches down and picks up dust and, and adds his DNA to the dust and forms a man. And then all the way in the New Testament to heal a blind man, what does Jesus do? He reaches down into the dust and he picks up this thing. And the disciples are more concerned with who sinned, his mom and dad, to make him that way. And Jesus says, neither. And it's this prophetic picture of Jesus saying, like my father creates a man, I will also heal the sin of a man and heal the blindness of a man because man is mixed with my DNA. And so even in the healing that Jesus does, he mimics his father's creativity by doing things in us that creates this wonder in us that should say, so what do I burn with? Like, what, what do I leave in the atmosphere when I walk away? Because maybe for some of you for a long time, it's always just been rage. Maybe it's been unbelief. Maybe it's been resentment. Maybe what you leave in the atmosphere is, is, is unforgiveness. But there's something that God wants to uncover when you start falling in love with him. He eradicates all of that stuff because when you were born, hell heard a rumor you were going to change the world. And the attack that's on you right now and that has been for the last how many years in your life is because you have been playing into hell's plan and believing something that isn't the Lord. Because his whole plan is to get you to not walk into your calling, to find out what you truly burn for so that when you leave a room, you actually change the atmosphere. Does that, does that make sense? I know that's so deep. It may be too deep for San Diego, but, but I had to figure out what it is I burned with, and I realized, oh, it's not singing. I mean, I could do that in my sleep. It's not a mothering. It's not mentoring. Those are great giftings of mine, but they come alive with the thing that burns in me, and I realized 
It's courage. Like all my life, I've lived in, in this lack of courage and faith in myself. And when I started writing songs, I intentionally wanted to write songs that were like balls of courage that would fly out into the audience and make people hope in God. And so I realized, I think I burn with encouragement. And some of us can't find it. Like I'm in, I'm in, in spaces with young people all the time. They're like, I mean, women are so easy to talk to about this because you ask a woman what she burns with and she'll be like, so many things. But you ask a guy, you ask a guy and the language for a guy is like burning. What are you talking about burning? You know, and, and I've had these guys in my office and, and I'm like, buddy, you got to find out what you burn for. And they're like, I, I, what would that be? I, I remember one very famous um, songwriter, worship leader was in my office and, I, and he was just going through a really hard time. And I said, I said, what do you burn for? And I knew it. The Lord had already spoken to me and said, this is what he burns for. And he, he got really quiet and he just looked up at me and he said, authority. And I said, yeah, because that's what the Lord had told me. I said, so do you feel powerless all the time? And he just started, he broke down and just started crying. He said, I'm attacked with insufficiency of power constantly. So when you can't find out what your burning is, just look in the opposite direction towards your attack. And you'll figure it out. If you're sick all the time, my question is, I wonder if you burn for healing. And the enemy's like, I heard a rumor she was going to burn for healing. So let's just get her sick all the time. So she never actually ever believes that that would ever be anything God would ever do for her. Wow. Oh, he, um, he burns with um, leadership. Let's trip him up his whole life so that all he ever believes is that he's a terrible leader. Wow. And so when you start thinking like that, all of a sudden you get the keys to power back. And so my thing is, when I figured that out, that was like my breakthrough day. Because I was like, encouragement is my burn. What's my, what's the opposite of encouragement? Discouragement. And I would fall in these dark places of discouragement all the time. And so I had to learn how to fight them because you can fight off the attack with the very thing you burn for. So I, I, I became a lover of the prophetic. Because prophetic was to encourage and so when I would have those onslaughts of darkness just come rolling over me that would make me want to shut the shades for days when I got off a trip and not talk to anybody, the Lord would start giving me people to minister to. And the moment that I was at the third person and text them or called them or emailed them, darkness would just roll right off my back because I was walking in my burning. I was allowing my burning to carry more authority than what the enemy was trying to use against me. Does that make sense? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke. I'm going to talk really quick about a story. I'm not going to go into great detail with it, but it's something that, that has also really um, impacted my life. Um, I have students all the time I speak um, over and I hear for, and I, I hear a lot of these beautiful stories from these young kids where they're like, yes, I mean, a prophet came and draped himself over my crib as a baby and told me that I was going to carry this to the nations and I was going to be a missionary. And I, and I never had that. I would have loved that. But I never had any prophet draping themselves over my baby crib telling me I was going to, you know, do all this stuff. I didn't have that privilege. Some, um, some people do. Some people are, have encounters all the time. I, I just, I was born and raised with really beautiful Christian parents, but 
Um, my father had a high level of religion. And so when he got sick with cancer, um, he said that God was going to heal him. And so we just prayed for God to heal him. And he actually pulled me aside. He pulled all of us aside. There were six of us but in a, in a room by myself and said that God had told him that if I prayed for him at seven years old, God would heal him. So imagine what religion did to me when he didn't get healed. And imagine how the enemy had set me up. Now remember, encouragement is my burn. So there were all of these things in discouragement. And if I was going to sing and make music, and the enemy had heard a rumor that my voice would have to actually shatter darkness out of the room, then he would have to actually start to ruin my voice. Thus, I became a severe bulimic in high school and nearly destroyed my voice. Because the enemy had heard a rumor that God was going to use my voice. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I had to get smart. And so I always wanted the word. I wanted the good word. But when I started traveling on the road and, and I would be in the back of green rooms, there would be these prophetic voices that would come. And I remember the first time this really great prophet guy was in the back of the green room and he said he had a word for me. And, it, it, you know, at that point I really wanted the husband word. You know, I mean, it's what you, you always want to hear what you, what you want, you know. And so I was waiting for a husband. I mean, I, I told the Lord when I was 16, I'll just not do anything and you find him. And I'm 52 and I'm still waiting. But when you ask God to do something, God really does it, right? So, and I've just had to learn that. But understand, in that, in that role of singleness, when the greatest desire of your heart is for this, and, and yet the greater desire of your heart is that you walk with the Lord, and that you want God's goodness over your life more than you want bad choices. Because I could have made several really bad choices. Um, but I wanted, I wanted God to actually serenade the dream. And it, it may have been a little far out of reach when I was younger. But now I look back on my life and I'm like, I would never be where I am today if God had um, not made me wait and wait and wait and wait. Do you know what waiting means actually in the dictionary? To stand with expectation for something coming. And you know, us girls that aren't married, we don't think that's right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we like to use the word waiting in a horrifying way. But the Lord has kind of dominated that whole part of my life. And, and so he was going to give me this word and I was like maybe it's it's the final word of like a marriage or something like that or this great guy that's coming down the road and and he said you're John the Baptist you're the voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way of the Lord and I was like no I'm not I didn't say that to the guy but I wanted to say that to the guy I, I don't want to be John the Baptist who wants to be John the Baptist the church hates John the Baptist do you understand what I'm saying? John the Baptist stinks. He's a full-blown hippie, completely an outcast in Scripture. And nobody wants to be around the guy. I don't want to be John the Baptist, Lord. So you can take John the Baptist back. Occasionally, I would get you like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I was like, I'll take that. And sometimes I'd be John the Beloved, and I'd be like, John the Beloved's okay until I found out that he died alone on the island of Patmos, and then I didn't want to be John the beloved anymore. But I got this word about John the Baptist, John the Baptist. And it wasn't once, it wasn't twice, it wasn't three, it wasn't four times. It was all the time. 
You're like John the Baptist. You carry the spirit of John the Baptist. You're like the voice of one calling out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. And I rejected the word every time because it wasn't what I wanted to look like. I, I, I walked it. I wasn't chosen like John the Baptist. When I did my first record, my voice was in the, in the 80s and the 90s the text of my low throttle and my gravelly tones, um, Christian Radio said, we can't play you on the radio because you'll scare Christians off the radio. Literally. I'm not kidding you. That's what they said. You sound too secular to be Christian. So we don't know how to even sell your records. And we've been to your events, but people lay on the floor and they cry while you worship. And we don't know, how do we scoop those people off the floor and get them to the tape today? Like, I, I've heard it all. I was born out of my era, out, out of a time, and, and, and launched into something that I wasn't ready for, but the Lord knew what he was doing. And so I didn't know because God didn't come down and whisper in my ear, oh, hey, Rita, this is what's actually going to happen. You're building everybody else's foundations for their homes. You'll never get to live in it. That's John the Baptist, isn't it? Carrie Job will come along and she'll sing back for you and you'll prepare a way for her. And she'll be the greater of this. And he didn't come and say those things to me. That's just what was happening. And I almost didn't even realize it was happening. I was unaccepted, but I didn't know there was a younger generation of young women singers that were watching me constantly. And saying, if she can sound like that, we can sound like this. I remember when, when somebody came up to me years ago and said, you sound so much like Kim Walker. And I said, honey, Kim Walker Smith sounds a lot like me. But I'm going to read this to you. In Luke chapter 1, it says, Many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. It's a precursor to, there's a story that's about to be told, and these things have become fact. We have, we have discovered that these are the facts. This stuff really happened, and then he launches into the story. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them are righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Here's a guy, he's old, he's an old man, he's a, he's a priest, um, he's He's married to a woman who um, is known as in the lineage of, the, of one of the daughters of Aaron, and scripture set them up. 
Scripture is about to set up the story of this, of these, of this couple. And, and Scriptures tell the story like this. Here's this guy who's blameless before the Lord and his wife who's totally blameless before the Lord. He is one of the priests in the house, and she is one of the daughters of Aaron. There is um, nothing bad in them. They are great, amazing people, and they live blameless before the Lord. But, oh, let's insert this. They never got what they asked for, and now they're too old to get it, basically. And so the first question that I'll ask you that the Lord asked me is, can you be blameless and still be disappointed? Because there's a lot of us that struggle with disappointment. And we're living in a day and an age in the church where there is this radical moving away from the presence of God because he just doesn't fit the bill anymore. And so we'll just make him what we want him to be that lets us stay where we want to stay. And we want to stay in a place. And in fact, it's almost funny talking to some of these people that, that are, are sitting down with me to trying to convince me that I'm the one that's wrong. I'm not worried. You know, I'm not, I just, nothing phases me. I'm like, I'm not worried what, you, what you're trying. You're, it's not like you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're going to try to take me out. I know who my God is. But here's the thing. If you just want to sin, then just sin. But don't try to put God in the midst of it saying he's okay what you want to do so that you feel better about going astray from the house of God. Just dime it out. You want to sleep with your boyfriend out of marriage. You want to take drugs and do alcohol and you want to do all those things and you believe that you were born in a different way and maybe born the di uh, in a different sex and you want to believe that that's totally fine for you to do. In fact, according to scripture, he gave you the ability to either eat from the tree or not eat from the tree. He gave you that freedom because the very thing that sits in the center of, of the garden is choice. It's what God gave us. He gave us choice. In fact, James says, you come to me and I will go to you. So he's not a forceful God. He's not going to come, come um, bashing through your door trying to get you to believe something you do not want to believe. He wants to be known by you because he knows if you know him, you won't walk away. And so we have this couple that sets for us up a really beautiful insight to say, okay, so we're struggling in society with all these things, and now we're really confused because we're disappointed by the timing of God. We're disappointed because God doesn't seem to be doing what he used to be doing. We're disappointed because we have prodigals. We're disappointed because our marriages are failing. We're disappointed because things are happening in our government, and it just looks like squalor everywhere. But can you be blameless and still carry disappointment? According to scripture, you can. Because Zachariah and Elizabeth are about to get the shock of their lives. Zachariah's lot's been cast. He goes into the house. It's his turn to do altar ministry. And his whole job is to come into the house, go out to the people, gather the prayers of the people, and take them to the burning of the altar of incense. So he's not burning anything for himself on the altar because it's really clear 
in a few minutes that he's done asking God for anything God would ever give him. But his job, ironically, is that he has to gather all the prayers of everybody else who haven't suffered the disappointment perhaps that he has and drags them to the altar of incense. And so while he's in there, an angel appears. Gabriel, an archangel appears, and the angel doesn't bring one moment or word or second of bad news. There's, there's none of it. Listen to this guy. I mean, honestly, ladies, when I adopted my son, I was in the delivery room with his birth mother, and it would have been amazing if I didn't just have the Lord with me, telling me to adopt and walking me through that and showing me things, but if he'd have sent Gabriel down, that would have been amazing. You know what I'm saying? And said, look, you're you don't ever have to worry about this kid. He's never going to go astray. He won't be smoking crack behind the gymnasium at school and high school. He's not going to do this. He'll never talk back to you, ever. I mean, ladies, can I get an amen? It would have been amazing to have been visited by an angel to tell us exactly what our children's lives would have been. That would have been awesome. But it's not so with Zachariah. Because disappointment is embedded in his soul. And it's about to come right out of his throat at the angel. Listen to what the angel says to him. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear your son and you are to call him John and he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine, amen, or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What an amazing word about his kid. And Zechariah has nothing to say but this. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I mean, what a, I'm the gall of the guy. But what happens is all of a sudden we're seeing, he's called blameless. We know he's blameless. And let me just point out, why is he blameless? Partly because he's still in the house. He's still serving the Lord. He didn't get offended when his name wasn't spelled right in the church bulletin. He didn't get offended when somebody didn't call upon him to do this and do this. He didn't walk away because the worship wasn't that great. He didn't walk away because he was never seen as a great deacon or asked to pray people or whatever. He stayed in the house doing what he knew God had called him to do even while he was suffering with a misunderstanding between God and him. And the mercy of God that he even right now looks down upon our nation and says, I know you're disappointed. You're struggling with it. And for some of us, it's coming out of our throats in this time of anguish and saying, why weren't you there when this? Why didn't you do this and this? And God is getting all of this stuff. I'd rather have God get your throw up than the devil. That's 
because God knows how to clean it up. So here is this guy in Scripture teaching us that you, you, you can find yourself in a quandary with the Lord because God's timing doesn't match our timing. And understand that there is this whole other thing that happens. You know, um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to go fast here, but, but he, he gets struck mute. He gets struck mute. I thought that was kind of rough. Like, I, I was like, okay, but the guy's an old guy. Like, be kind to him, you know? But he is, like, struck, like, mute. Like, the angel's like, because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak. And so he cuts off his ability to speak. And I was like, Lord, I, I, you're going to have to walk me through that. That's a bit harsh for me. And the Lord said to me, so do you think I should let people do you think I should have let this man okay so let's 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 work it out in our heads he's going to go home he's going to tell Elizabeth it's not an automatic thing that happens according to a woman who's ever been pregnant it's about a 10 month journey and she's super old so if that's how he responds to Gabriel what would he have done in that 10 months to his poor wife Think of the, the, the things that he could have said. Or, the, I mean, is she going to carry the baby to full term? Like, is she too old for this? How many opportunities would he have had to speak death over the promise? And when the Lord does not want death spoken over a promise that comes from heaven, he will cut you off at the throat so that you can't curse what God wants to do. There's a math plan here, and it's a beautiful plan. There's this baby that's about to be born, and he can't be born at any other time, and God knows it. God knows there's this couple. They're the ones to father this voice in the desert. But I can't give the voice in the desert to this couple until they reach all the way to this age bracket. Because if I give it to them any sooner, they would be happy with it. But there won't be a 14-year-old girl a few days away that has to carry the Savior in order to meet up with the voice of one calling in the desert. And here's the thing you need to believe, and you need to understand this. This was what I had to realize. The reason God was prophesying over me, you are a voice of one calling in the desert, because I was made to prepare a way for others who are going to make it. And I have to be willing to stand in my lane and not keep trying to move over to the other lane and be something I was never meant to be, but actually start asking the Lord, what does my lane look like? And I want your glory to fall in the lane, and I want to be able to do whatever you called me to do. And God didn't call me to do what Carrie Job did or what Jen Johnson did. He called me to make a way so they could do it easier. And are limited. I was, I was talking to uh, um, a gal um, that's a, a huge mega church um, this past weekend in a writing room, and I was saying, well, what's missing in that mega church of yours? Because I've been on staff in a mega church for seven years. Being a mega church doesn't mean you're mega amazing. 
You know what I'm saying? It's the church. The church is full of people. And the thing is, if we just understand that I'm a wreck and you're a wreck sometimes, and I just want to have patience for your wreckage and want you to have patience for my wreckage, but I'm going to believe in you past your wreckage, hopefully you'll believe in me past mine. We're all the church. We're all struggling with this thing that's in our bones while we're in the house. Do I make sense? And I was talking to her and I said, well, what's missing in your mega church? And she said this, no mothers and fathers. Wow. Wow. And I said, I know, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the mothers and fathers, and I, I really want to say it so the, those that are 30 and under can hear me. I'm sorry. I mean, I have more students in my schools and they tell me things that their parents have said to them. And it's very difficult for me. To not say, lean in and just say, you know what, you mind just giving me your mother's cell number? <laughs> Someone will give her a call. Because there's this thing in me that wants to just say, why would you speak death over that kid? Why would you tell her that the Lord had said this about her? And because she's got tattoos on her arm and she's creative that she'll probably be in a mental institution. The enemy has had a field day with your daughter because of your idiotness, because of your insecurity that you never laid on the altar and so you coughed it up all over your little girl. And the church is missing the mothers and the fathers because the fathers don't know how to father and the mothers have lost their will to mother. And it's, it's so prevalent that it's because we have not identified where our lanes are. Many will prepare and many will make. Some will do both. But in this story, we're watching this voice prepare the way for his cousin. And if you remember the story, I, you know, um, it says in Scripture here that um, Mary comes um, hears that Elizabeth is in her sixth month and she makes a 14-day journey. I've tracked it out with people in Israel. A 14-day journey for a pregnant woman in her first trimester to get to, um, to get to Elizabeth. And the Bible says she stays three months. So it's, it doesn't say this, but it would be very um, surprising if she wasn't there during the birth of John the Baptist. I think Mary was there. I think she was in the room. I think she had to be in the room. Um, because remember when she comes up the walkway, the promise in Elizabeth. Now, when Elizabeth conceives um, John the Baptist, it says that Elizabeth's response to God is that she pulls herself inward for five months in seclusion. I love it. Zachariah shouted an angel, and Elizabeth bows her head and pulls herself away for five months. Five is a number for grace. I think that woman took five months to be alone with the Lord to get all the disappointment out of her bones. Because it says that when that baby's born, she shouts it from the rooftop. And that's her first pregnancy you would think that she would want to shout it from the rooftop the moment she found out she was pregnant. But she does these holy things. 
And of course, Zechariah gets his voice back when he writes down John's name and seals the promise. And Mary comes up the walkway. And remember Elizabeth, by way of the Holy Spirit, is told that the Messiah is in Mary's belly. And the promise starts to turn. The one preparing the way for the one making it begins to turn and vibrate in the womb of his mother. Because you can prepare and not feel anointing coming down the sidewalk. You can't do it. I can walk into rooms all the time and God will say, look at that girl over there. Look at that young man over there. I have power on them. And all I have to do is watch them walk up the stage and they grab the microphone or they grab the guitar and you could just hear it pierce the atmosphere. And it almost makes me feel this, this beautiful you know, sense of motherly pride, like that one's going to change the world, aren't they, Lord? And he said, yeah, I feel like Anna at the temple waiting to see the Messiah. And there are moments in my career that the Lord has said, that's when you've waited to see your whole life. And to watch them bloom now has just been unreal for me. Because I've settled in my burning. I don't need to write another song. I mean, what's so beautiful of the Lord is that he told me in my 20s, this little saying, he said, greater are the things you'll do in the latter part of your life than you've ever done in the former. And I spent some time trying to inform him how he didn't know what, how record labels work. <laughs> At 52, you're, you're, you're over for about already six years, seven years. As a guy, no, but as a woman, you just don't see it in worship leading skills. You don't see that um, across the board. You don't hear it on the radio. And at 50, I recorded the best-selling album I ever did. My audience is mostly young people. I don't know how it is. I can still sound like I'm as strong vocally, probably more strong now than I've ever been. That's all Jesus. That's all the Lord because I've stayed in the house. I've... I've handed down my disappointment and I've begun to believe that I'm a voice of one calling in the desert and my eyes aren't on what I get to do. My eyes are on what he's doing in other people. And it's been quite a beautiful journey. I, um, I, I'm going to end here and we're just going to, I really feel like, um, you know, Pastor Josiah can come up and close this out how he feels led. But I really felt like the Lord said, I just, I, I want the streams of disappointment. Um, and for people to understand that there's appointment layered in the center of the disappointment. That God's not disappointed with you or disappointment with him. He's actually appointed with you. He's appointing you to, to beautiful, wonderful things. But we have to as a people and as a church, if we're going to become a house of resting for the Lord, where we become a place that his presence dwells, you've got to get to know the Lord. You have to want to talk to him. And you have to want to let down what you cannot hold in his presence. John the Baptist's story doesn't end well. And maybe that is why my predicament with being prophesied over all the time about it. It was like, Lord, he's young. He's baptized his cousin. They've watched the Holy Spirit fall and he's ministering and he's a radical and he's hated by the religious people. And he's 
tricked and arrested and he's in prison and all of a sudden he's in a place that's a visitation of what his father was struggling with. And he's not supposed to be there. He's got stuff to do. He's always known what he's about. He's always known the path. So he gathers his disciples and he says, go ask him if he's the one. It's the same tone that his dad took with the angel. How can this be so? There's disappointment in John's belly because he shouldn't be in the predicament that he is based on the prophetic words that he's always known his whole life. That wasn't part of what Gabriel said. And the disciples go and they find Jesus, the scriptures say, and they say, John's in prison and he's asking if you're the one. And Jesus turns and he makes that famous statement. He says, go tell John this. The blind are seeing and the deaf are hearing and the lame are leaping. And tell John this. Blessed is the man who's not offended by what I don't do. And it doesn't say that John's disciples departed and went back down to the cell where John was. But it does say this in the Gospels. While John's disciples were leaving, which basically means still in earshot, Jesus turns toward the crowd and he says this. What did you go into the desert to see? A reed swaying in the wind? No, I tell you this. He went to see the greatest man there ever will be. And he begins to just tell thousands and thousands of people what his thoughts about his cousin were. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, the disciples heard it. They would have had to go down to the prison cell. And John may have pressed himself up against the bars and said, did you find him? What's going on? Is he coming? Are we getting a miracle? And the disciples would have said, oh, we don't think he's coming, Johnny. Uh, John. He, he did say this, so he said to tell you that the blind are seeing and the lame are leaping and signs and wonders are being done. And, and, and so much of what you've prophesied and all these meetings that we've been in are, are happening. That's happening, John. Jesus wants you to know that's happening. But he also said, don't be offended by what he doesn't do. I don't think he's coming, John. But John, when we were leaving, he turned toward the crowd. And he just goes off about you. He tells the crowd that he loved you. He tells the crowd that you were the best cousin he'd ever had. And he actually rebukes them for not believing in you. And he says that you're the greatest prophet that's ever walked the earth. Jesus loves you, John. You're well thought of. And I think when John had his head cut off, I just think he probably looked at the guy that held the sword or brought down that gavelin and said, you can cut my head off any way you want to cut my head off. I know what he thinks of me. I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know why you've come to this conference. I don't know if you lack love or you need. I don't know if you are struggling with God making sense in your paradigm shifting as a millennial. I actually think millennials are the most beautiful generation I've seen in a long time because there's so much art on you. There's so much of the creative. God does not pass a generation by. He just doesn't. 
But I don't know if you're carrying disappointment. I just know tonight he wants it. Does that make sense? So I'm just going to go back to the piano and I'm going to just worship over you. And, and if that's you tonight, I know we've got um, people that will, are willing to pray for you if you want to come to the altar. And maybe you just want to reckon with God tonight before we close. Maybe you just want to sit there and just apologize and ask the Lord. I'd ask the Lord, where is my disappointment lodged? What is it? What is the cycle? I can't get past this cycle. Why do I keep repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating? Why can't I lay this sin down? Why am I struggling with this so bad? And just let the Holy Spirit speak over you. Does that make sense? Yes. So if you're on the, on the prayer ministry team, you could come up and you could just be up here in case there's anybody that just needs to come to the altar tonight and, um, and just hear from the Lord or just... Uh, yeah. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you come, how you walk into a room. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for just all that you do to be all that you are.
A few weeks before last Christmas, I got a phone call from my mom, found out that she had cancer. She came down and lived with us for a little bit, and only two months later, she died. And it was rough. And my mom, she had left and not been around when I was 14, and so I hadn't really had like a really strong relationship with her and hadn't seen her a lot in the last uh, almost two decades and um, just been hard. And then she was gone just that quickly and only a couple of months later my grandma died and I was really close with her and it was just like one, two. And when my grandma passed away, it only restirred all of the emotion and all of the hurt from my mom, just bringing all that back in. I was just hurting. Like, it was just, it was rough. And I'd never really lost anybody close to me. Maybe you have. And um, when, when it was happening, I had a decision to make. I can either run to God or from God. And I chose to run to him. Circumstances are going to come again and again and again. Something's going to come tomorrow. Just is. Where are you going to run to? Make your determination now. Don't wait till you're hurting to make a choice. You make the choice today. Jesus, I run to you. When I get embarrassed next time, I'm going to run to you. When I get fired, I'm going to run to you. When this relationship breaks, something happens, I'm going to run to you. When sickness comes, I'm going to run to you. You make the decision today. And you'll find courage inside of you to run in the right direction when circumstances come your way. I just feel like this is appropriate. Two nights ago, I was praying for the conference and just had been praying for you guys. And I woke up out in the middle of the night and and, and literally it was like three in the morning or something. And I literally heard like a knock at the door and it startled me awake and my heart started beating. I'm like, who's at my door in the middle of the night? And I got really nervous and I kept listening intently, trying to hear like waiting for the knock next knock or the doorbell to ring and it didn't come and then I heard the Lord say I'm knocking on the door of your heart so I was like well I should probably get up and pray and don't just be like oh that's cool Jesus and go back to sleep so I got up and went in the living room and began to pray I was praying for this event praying for you <laughs> praying for me praying for my family and all the crazy stuff that's been happening this year and um, I fell asleep on my living room floor. And then I woke up in the morning and I heard the same knock again. I knew it wasn't in the natural or my dog would have been barking. It's just knocking on the door of my heart. And I'm, I've been missing that. I had to repent and tell God again, I repent, forgive me for not not paying attention to when you tap on my shoulder in the middle of the night. Not paying attention when you're trying to get wake me up to be with you when all of everybody else is asleep and there's no one texting or calling. There's no responsibilities. And he just wants 
just wants to be with me. <laughs> it was beautiful. It's beautiful. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray that you would have the courage, that you would have the boldness, that you would have the tenacity, that when you hear the knock on the door of your heart, when you feel the tap on your shoulder in the middle of the night, when you feel him wooing you, you have the courage to respond, roll out of bed, or pull your car over, or take a 10 at work, Go be with Jesus. You'll discover what you burn for. You'll discover what you begin to leave in the atmosphere when you walk away. It comes back to intimacy. I don't know if Luigi knew it when he mentioned it earlier, but when he was talking about Zacchaeus, there was a beautiful piece where it said that Zacchaeus climbed up a sycamore fig tree. Or was a fig tree. And, and figs in the scripture are always connected to devotion. It's when Nathaniel was underneath the fig tree and Jesus saw him there. It was like this in the culture. Rabbis would spend time under the fig tree in devotion and study to the Lord. So you can see figs as this communion, this devotion to God. It's no wonder why when Adam and Eve sinned and came into the earth, that shame covered them. And so they chose the fig leaves to cover their nakedness. That wasn't random. It's because all of a sudden they were full of shame where there should have been devotion. He's calling us back to that man. And you'll find what you burn for in that place. Amen. Father, I just speak blessing over this group, this hungry group that wants more. I pray for grace, for intimacy, grace to say yes again and again inconvenient and inconvenient moments i thank you god that their yes comes and it comes loud and it comes strong and i thank you for each and every person in this room beginning to discover what they burn for that they would leave that hanging in atmosphere when they leave their work their house their school, their church. There would be a wake of hope and peace and love and power and presence everywhere that they go. We thank you for this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we show some love and thank Rita Springer for that incredible word? Oh. I have so much to chew on from that message. I'm a mess. Ah, so incredibly rich. Listen, love you guys so much. Um, tomorrow morning, if you don't have a home church, you're welcome here. If you do have a home church, go there and take the presence and the fire and the excitement that you have been receiving here all weekend and bring it to your congregation. They need it. No matter where that is, go burn there. But if you don't have a place you're going to, you're of course welcome here. We have a growth group at 9 a.m. over here upstairs. Ben Robbins will be ministering in that with us tomorrow morning. We even have some food for you and coffee. And it's free. 
That's amazing. Uh, so that'll be fun. And then Rita Springer's ministering at 1030 here, both in worship and preaching the word as well tomorrow morning. And then, of course, tomorrow night at six o'clock, Ben Robbins will be bringing the word here for the last session of the First Love Conference. It's going to be amazing. Bring somebody with you, especially if you're going to another church. You'd be like, dude, I don't, what are you doing tonight? You got to come tonight. It's not too late. Have them register. I promise you, you will not regret it. God's going to move in this place in a powerful way as he's been doing all weekend long. So thank you guys for being here. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you out there. Go get yourself some chicken tacos or some veggie tacos out there. Go get that. It's super good. They've been out there cooking and serving. Do that at the merch table. Rita Springer's merch is out there. It's not just about the clothes. It's the message written and inscribed and imprinted on the clothes. That's what makes all the difference. Go wear that with authority and excitement. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a fantastic evening. God bless you.